1 John 4, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat where you're at. We'll dismiss our school-aged kids. Y'all head to the back. The rest of you, if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, we are in a series uh, following Jesus. We start every fall this way, but we're going to start a little differently today. Um, so I was just praying and worshiping here earlier. That was incredible worship, wasn't it? I love that song we ended with. Just a reminder that Jesus is bigger and better than the darkness that comes against us. And if we're not careful, we'll just be overcome by all the problems we face. Life is hard. It is just so hard. Let me again. Let's see if this works. real Pentecostal on you so um, you know they have these so they can take off running so just get ready Jesus is bigger than the problems we face one of my uh, dear friends uh, who helped us start the church many of you might not know them uh, Luke and Melissa Richardson Melissa is battling cancer and uh, that's no secret she's posted that on social media but she had it, it went away, it's come back again with a vengeance, and she is fighting hard. Um, she was one of the first couples at Covenant, helped us, our first community group was in their living room, and whether you know her or not, I just want to start this service off praying for her. So just wherever you're at, I, I hesitate to do this because some of you are new and you're like, I don't know them, and this is weird. This is who we are. If a church doesn't pray, well, are we even a church? Um, so if we just take a minute, just right where you're at, would you just pray for Melissa? Would you pray that God would heal her body? Would you pray for Luke as he helps her make decisions, as he drives her to all the appointments. Would you pray that God would be so near to him? Would you pray for their kiddos? You have four beautiful kiddos. You pray that God would protect their hearts. And minds as they watch mom walk through such a difficult thing. God, we love you. We come to you and we pray with all faith that you would heal Melissa. Some of the seeds that they planted in this very church we're still reaping the harvest from and so although many don't know them they've been gone for four or five years God my heart is so thankful for them and I just pray God with all faith that you would bring healing 
you would be very near to them. I know they are people of such great faith. Lord, just even now as our little church prays, would you open up the heavens and pour out your spirit on that family? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you. I ask that you continue to pray for them. Jamie talked about prayer changing things, and it does. It just does. And sometimes we don't know how it changes or why it changes or what it takes God so long to change things. Sometimes we don't know. But at the end of the day, we can trust him. We really can. He is a good father and he loves us. We used to, we used to sing this song, Avalanche. Y'all remember that? And the jokes around the circle of the people I walked in was... Uh, do you seen the sloppy wet kiss part? There was a part in there that said that the father, you know, gives us a sloppy wet kiss. And that's a little refined. I mean, that's a little, that's a little out there, not refined enough for us. So people would ask me. So a lot of them changed the name of unforeseen kiss, I mean, to sloppy wet kiss to an unforeseen kiss, which sounds worse to me. An unforeseen kiss, that's like a junior higher sneaking a kiss of something. Like people go to jail for unforeseen kisses. Let's not bring those. That's weird. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I want to sing Sloppy Wet Kiss. Because when you understand the affection the Father has for you, a sloppy wet kiss is not too far. When Jesus is comparing the Father's love to us, in Luke 15, he does it with a father who has two lost sons, the prodigal. And the prodigal's gone away to sow his wild oats. And he comes back, and the father runs, which was undignified for a Jewish man to run. And he embraces the son before he's apologized. And the word that he uses, embrace, is to shower his face with kisses. And I think we've missed this in our dignified buttoned up King James kind of way. We've missed the heart of the Father. God loves you so much that he invented marriage between a husband and a wife. And hopefully there's lots of sloppy wet kisses. He invented that as a small reflection of what it would mean for Jesus and his bride, the church. So every time that we feel the, the fullest extent of marriage and the fullest intimacy of marriage, we would think, how much more does the Father love me? Does Jesus love the bride? And we come in here and we sing the songs. And we do all the things and we read the word and we preach the word and we do this and this is good and right. But if you miss the heart of the Father, if you miss grace, if you miss, it's all grace, that while we were yet sinners, he came for us and he desired to be with us. And when we were still a long way off, Jesus himself came as if we were not convinced that the Father loved us. Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to show them the very full extent of the love of the Father towards them. And he would go and he would not just come and he would not just be and he would not just heal, but he would take the full extent of his love what took him to the very cross that killed him. And he said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured all these things for the joy of being with his bride. And friends, if we don't start there, I want to talk today about relationships and that they matter. Relationships matter. This is what John's talking about. We covered this text about 14 months ago when we walked through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. John was someone who knew the love of God. Listen, 
If we don't understand the love of God, if we don't walk in the love of God, if we don't experience the love of God, if we don't experience the love of the Father, then there's no way that we're going to be able to love others like, he, like he's asked us to. This is the one thing that we've got to learn how to grow in love. Your faith is only as good as your love. It doesn't matter how many podcasts you listen to or how many times you serve the poor or how much money you give to the church or all the teams that you're on at the church. If you don't have a love, Paul says you have literally nothing. If I can speak with tongues of angels, but I don't have love, then I've got nothing. We can't point to anything else. We've got to learn how to be good at love. We've got to get our black belts in love. And loving God and allowing him to love us, step one, not just doing all the things, but intimacy with the Father. John, again, knew how to love. We saw him last week as he was on the shoreline with Peter. Jesus called and said, you know what, come and follow me. John was known as the beloved or the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was probably the youngest of the disciples. He literally took the form of a spiritual son to Jesus. He was sitting next to Jesus in the Last Supper. Literally, it said he laid his head on his chest as like, a, as like Hudson would do to me when he wants to fall asleep. That kind of relationship. He was the only disciple that showed up at the cross. Remember John, Jesus told John, John, take care of mom. John knew the love of Jesus. He knew what it meant to be loved by the Father and what it meant to love others. And he reminds us of this essential truth in 1 John 4. He calls us beloved. Beloved, verse 7, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is the fullest extent of the love that he was, of God was made manifest among us that God sent his son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us. He poured his love on us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation or the ultimate sacrifice or the exchange for our very sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is, is perfected in us. word could be his love is extended in us you've heard this before the essence is to love God and to love people this text here says that it's God's very nature or attribute that God isn't just loving he is actually love And not saying it's his only attribute, but it does show you that it's at the core of who the Father is, is love. And in return, if self-giving, self-sacrificial love is not at the core of our being, there's no way we're connected to Jesus. There's no way we're walking with God. This is John's big idea. You read through the text. If you really love God, you're going to love others. And you're going to walk in the way of Jesus. You're going to live unto righteousness. Now, we flippantly use the word love. And this is true. I've told you before. I love the Dallas Cowboys, as average as they are. I love a beach sunset. I love sizzling fajitas. I also love my wife and my kids and my Savior. But you can hear there are different levels of love. Same word, far different meanings. And so we wouldn't get lost with love. 
we ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to really love God? What does it mean to really love others? Is it just this warm affection? Is it the fact that I give them a side hug or I let them get in front of me in traffic? What, what does it really mean that I vacuum the house for my wife? What, what, is, what does love actually mean? And John shows us. He defines it for us and he uses the person of Jesus to do it. He shows us what it means to grow in love. Let me tell you, though, the secret is relationship. God wants to walk with you, not just for you to do all the things. He wants to walk with you. In the creation story, Adam and Eve walked with God before sin entered. Several heroes of the faith, Scripture talked about, they walked, Enoch walked with God, Abraham walked with God, Noah said was walking with God. The key word here is in verse 7 and 8, and it's the word know. The end of verse 7, whoever has been born of God, meaning his spiritual children, whoever has been born of God knows God. There's several different words in the ancient Greek language they could have used for know that would be translated know into English, K-N-O-W, know. This specific word, gnosko, is the word for knowledge by experience. What John is saying is when we really experience God or walk with God, we will walk in the love of God. We will have a union with the Father, and that is going to so radically change us that the natural overflow of the love of God in us is going to show itself with love of other people. This is why John, just so we wouldn't get confused in another passage uh, back towards the beginning, he says, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, you're a liar, and there's no truth in you. Those are harsh words, John. Because this is not a game that we're playing. We're not, we didn't show up here to play church. There's an enemy who's after your soul. We don't have time to play church. There's an enemy who's blinded the eyes of the unbelievers that are your neighbors and your extended family and even some of your kids. And it says he's like a, like a lion, prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. So John says, I want you to make sure you got the connection right. I want to make sure you're tuned into the right channel. The love of God to know it, to walk in it, to experience it. This is what the psalmist says, as deep cries unto deep. As the deep things in our heart cry out for union with our maker and creator, we, we cry out for the deeper things of God, the deeper things of us that we don't even know how to explain. It, it literally cries out for the deeper things of God. And we don't even know what those things are, but here's what I tell you. When you walk with God, the levels go deeper and deeper. We had a moment after staff meeting, me and Dave and Heather praying for some people in, in this very room. And we were crying out to God on your behalf. And it was like a glory portal opened up into heaven, pouring into the copy room. And you walk away, you don't, one, you don't want everyone to leave it. And you walk away thinking, man, that was incredible. And some of us in this room have never experienced this because, because we've limited who, what God is like by our earthly father. We've, we, we, we've, we were taught wrongly that we just had to do all these things to earn his love. And that is just not the truth. It's all about the word know, to know, to walk in experience. I've told you before, I met my bride in the late 1900s, who's now my bride. This is when you paid for cell phone use by the minute, and they were the size of a watermelon. You remember that? Shortly after I met her, there was another fellow that was interested in her. His name was Jeremy. Hope your name's not Jeremy. That's a cuss word in our house now. Um, I'm kidding. I'd met Ashley once or twice. Jeremy had met Ashley. He came up to me. 
He said, hey, have you, have you met Ashley George? I was like, yeah, I have. I've met Ashley George. I know her. But now I've been married to her for 21 years. To say I know her has a different context, does it not? Then I said I knew her because I had met her once or twice. Basically, I knew about her. But now I, I know her. This is John saying. To, to walk with God is to know him. And for him to know you and you to have conversation. The key again is relationship. We were meant to know God, to walk in relationship with him. Like Adam and Eve and Enoch and Noah and Abraham. Because relationships matter. Not just knowing about, but knowing him in relationship with him. The text shows us three ways that, that Jesus showed us what love was. When we say, what does it mean to love God and what does it mean to love others? This is the three ways. And, and, and this is not an exhaustive list. There are more than these. There are three that are right here. That Jesus showed us that relationship looks like proximity. Relationship, knowing each other, looks like it requires intentionality. And relationship grows deeper through vulnerability. These three things. Proximity. We see in the text that love literally draws near. And this is the love of God that was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. That the very love of God was made manifest or apparent. It appeared to us. While we were still hostile, while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies with God, that's when God acted. He didn't wait for us to get our act together just as he didn't wait for us to get our act together now. His love toward us through the person of Jesus. Jesus draws near. Why? Because you can't really love from a distance. I mean, you can love an ideal of a person from a distance. I can brag about not having a fight with my wife I can't brag about not having a fight with my wife that I haven't talked to in six years because I haven't been with her. I don't know her and she doesn't know me. I can't really love from the distance. I mean, I guess you could send gift cards, but even this lacks real love. Jesus came close. Look at the proximity of it. In chapter 1 of the John's epistles, 1 John 1, I love this. Look at these action words. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard. They heard the love of God through the person of Jesus. We have seen with our eyes. They saw the love of God as they saw Jesus. We looked at, we, we looked at him and, and our hands actually touched him. We felt the love of God through the person of Jesus. This we proclaim concerning the word of life, that life appeared. And we've seen it and testified to it. We know it and we proclaim it to you. Eternal life which was with the Father and then appeared to us. Takes proximity. Most of us lack a relationship with God because of proximity. We don't want to physically put ourselves in a posture of closeness with the Father. We don't want to calm our spirits or our minds enough to hear the voice of the Father. We don't want to discipline ourselves to open up the word and read about his heart for us. You ever, you ever walked into the wrong movie and saw a minute of it and didn't know anything else? You're like, well, that makes no sense. Well, of course it doesn't make sense, doofus. You walked in right in the middle of the thing. You want to know the love of God? It's in his word. This, the entire Bible is a love letter to his people. And it talks about the love of God made manifest to us. It takes proximity. Jesus made the first move. It takes intentionality. Verse 9, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. God was the one that acted. We weren't even asking for salvation. And another gospel that bears John's name, John John's gospel in, verse, in chapter 15, we talk about this so much, the, the vine and the branches. He, he says something similar, John does, in verse 12. My command is this, to love each other 
Well, how should we love each other, Jesus? As I have loved you. Oh, that kind of love. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servant doesn't know what's going on with the master, the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you, appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that's going to last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. John recaps it. Love each other. Love one another. The intentionality in this passage that he chose us and pursued us and appointed us and made all these things known to us. Look how Jesus defines love. It's so radical. It's so intentional. It requires this intentionality because love is not easy. Friends, you know this. We live in a world where convenience is key. I went to a restaurant this week, a nice restaurant. We have very few of them in Bossier. I went to one of these. And I waited like six minutes until someone came to my table and I had my phone out to write a bad review on them. Six minutes. Like, what is, what is wrong with us? Love requires intentionality because it's not easy. I try to explain to my kids all the time what we did before cell phones. And they just sit there and wonder. Like, like I lived with the dinosaurs or something. Well, well, how did you get in touch with someone? Well, you called and left a message on an answering machine. And maybe they checked it and maybe they didn't. And then when they might call you back in a couple days, and then you might not be home. And you might do this playing phone tag for, you know, a couple weeks. How'd y'all live like that? We just did. I don't know. My kids do not know a life without convenience. Here's the spiritual connection that not everything convenient is fruitful or rewarding. Just because it's convenient doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's fruitful. You and I wish my kids could experience blockbuster video. <laughs> they just on a whim, just think of something and then they can watch it right then, just immediately. Even if it's in the theaters. I mean, it is like, some kind of magic going on up there. And I say, oh, yeah, what we would have to do is, like Friday, if I had a big date that night, I would have to try to get off work early so I could get to Blockbuster quickly because Men in Black was just released, and they only had six copies. They had six copies of Men in Black, and I had to get there before the other six jokers who was going out on a date wanted to show, watch with their honey, wanted to watch a movie. I had to get there early. I had to, I had to, I had to cheat work so I could get there to get, to get the movie. If not, I'm going to get there and I'm going to have to watch Twister again or uh, You've Got Mail or something. You know, again, I'm going to have to watch it again. I could have had this, but there's only six of them. They know nothing about walking the aisles of Blockbuster for hours, right? Or the $700 fee for returning it a day late and not rewinding it before DVD. I'm really dating myself now. Whoa. At the Allen household, you better bet we bought an automatic rewinder. We were not paying for those rewind fees. I promise you that. You took that thing out, put it in, rewound it for you. You showed up at Blockbuster with pride, right? The thought of having to drive somewhere to get a movie blows their mind. Listen, God is not trying to make, to make spiritual connection, everything in your life convenient. Now, we live in a world that's trying to do that, but God's not trying to do that. He tells us when we pray to keep praying. The illustration of prayer that he's trying to teach us is that of a persistent widow that keeps knocking and keeps knocking and keeps knocking. Why? Because that takes intentionality. Not everything convenient is fruitful. Actually, sometimes the most inconvenient things in life are the most rewarding things, are the most fruitful things. Is this not true? I mean, think no further than just parenting. 
Can you think of anything more inconvenient than kids? Anything? I love my kids. Are my kids in this room? They're not even in here. Praise God. (laughs) They cost me a ton of money. Way more money than I ever thought even possible. I didn't even know about Lululemon. I didn't even know that was a thing. $60 for a pair of shorts that they just have to have. And they come to me like, like I've, I've got all the money. They're like, Dad, I just need, need a new pair of shorts. I'm sorry, babe. You better just go to Walmart and get you a pair of shorts. Your dad is in the ministry. Say it with me. Ministry, right? As a parent, you get way less sleep. Some of you got toddlers in there. You're, you, haven't, you haven't slept a full night in 10 years. It's just been that way. You understand? Not everything convenient is fruitful. As a matter of fact, some of the things that are most fruitful and, and, and most rewarding are the most inconvenient things in their life. My kids are the most inconvenient thing in, their li- in my life, but there is nothing more fruitful in my life other than walking with Jesus. Nothing that I'm more proud of, nothing that brings me more joy. See, now we're starting to understand how the kingdom of God works. It takes intentionality to walk with God, to walk with other people. I feel like in that decade of no sleep, my kids would like, they would meet up before we would go to bed and be like, all right, who's up tonight? What's the excuse? Ellie would come bust up in the room all the time. And I mean, it was so creepy. She'd put a blanket over her head every time. It's so like, you know how kids think that you can't see them if they can't see you, you put a blanket like she's, you know, just in the room. And would scare, would scare the bejesus out of me. I promise you that. And I'd be like, Ellie, 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 what's wrong? What's up? And she's like, hug. <laughs> That's sweet now. It is not sweet in the moment. Ellie, no hugs. <laughs> hugs are given between 7 a.m. and bedtime at 9 p.m. No hugs in the middle of the night. I, th- I need some water. Go get your water. Drink your spit. You got lots of spit. Get back in that bed, right? Hands down, one of the most rewarding things in my life. Inconvenience is the way of growth in the kingdom. Relationships are inconvenient. Walking with God, inconvenient. You want to get up and get all these things done. And he said, wait, 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 wait. I want you to walk with me. I want you to seek me with all your heart. And if you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. It's not like he's hiding from you. He just wants your intentionality to sit down and walk with him. This is what love is. Jesus intentionally came down to serve us. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. You see the intentionality? This is what love does. It serves It's not there seeking its own self. It's there on behalf of others. Love doesn't mind getting messy. Jesus said it's the very reason he came, to serve the last and lost and least. Thank God that was me. I was the last and lost and least. And he came for me. This scene in John 13 we talked about last week where he's literally washing the disgusting feet of the disciples and their attitudes were even more disgusting and Jesus didn't mind. See, the toddler wants what they want, and they cry until they get it. And the teenager wants what they want, and they pout until they get it. But it's the parents, the spiritually mature, that show up and say, what does the family need? What does this relationship need? Where, Where do I need to serve and not just come to be served? The intentionality and then the vulnerability. Man, I gotta get through this. I told them I was not preaching an hour this week. And they're taking bets against it. We should stop right now and I'd win some money maybe. Vulnerability. I want you to hear this and see this. If you just have intentionality and proximity but no real authentic vulnerability, it's not a real relationship. This is what happens when marriage struggle. Is they quit trusting each other. And so they quit being vulnerable with each other. And their relationship with each other dries up and rots. And so as a counselor, I'm not the counselor, Jason's the counselor, but you know what a good counselor does? He's going to go back to the the point where you stop trusting each other. 
and he's going to try to help you rebuild trust with each other. Real relationships take vulnerability. You ever wonder why God asks you to ask him for things that he already knows you need? God knows everything. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows every tear that you've ever shed and every number of hair on your head. He knows everything. Well, then he certainly knows what you need. Then why does he want you to ask? Because he wants you to be vulnerable with him. He wants you to come with your real self. You read through the Psalms. They are messy. Man, David, what an emotional dude. I mean, he is on top of the mountain one day and at the very bottom of the sea. He is Thomas the train that thought he could do it all and then Chicken Little the next minute the sky's falling. And you know what I love about him? He's just like me. I'll wake up and see God do the most incredible things. And I mean, literally, you know when you used to play NBA Jam and you'd get on fire. Remember that? He's, he's on fire, right? Also, my age is cool. Trying to relate with the younger folk. Um, they're judging me for my black blockbuster rewind story. I have one of those days where I feel like I'm on fire, like God is just blessing everything, and it's just like, you know, I'm watching what my shadow touches to see if it heals somebody, you know, like that never happened to me, but if it did, I'd like to know it, it did, okay? Like, that, oh no, he's no, he's still there. Um, I'll wake up the next morning. And forget all of those other things. I'll wake up such in a funk, mad at God, mad at my wife, mad at my kids, mad at my church, mad at, mad at all the things. How fickle our heart is. And so you go to God with your fickleness. He didn't want you to muster it up to come to him. He just wants you to bring what you got. He wants us to be vulnerable, to practice our neediness, to practice our spiritual brokenness in front of him. See, we live in a pretty superficial world. And our relationships, or lack thereof, are based on things we know about someone, not an actual relationship with them. In our political system and every other system, this is, what they, this, is, this is what they're after. They want it to be us versus them in every kind of way. They, they do not want you to know a person or their story. They do not want you to listen to them or hear from them or actually love them. They just want you to pit you against them. And then every device known to man is like calibrated for this, for this very thing. And it is opposite the way of the kingdom. Guys, we're so bad at this being vulnerable because we've experienced it. If we show a crack in our armor, next time we're with our bros, they, they know where that crack is and they're going to keep sticking their thumb in it. We're terrible at this. We, under, the, under the guise of sarcasm, we take, we take any vulnerability that we've ever shown to someone and we exploit it. And all the while, it's teaching ourselves, our mind, and our heart that we can never really be vulnerable with someone. We do it in our marriage relationships. The worst thing you can do in marriage is to take something that someone told you about their vulnerability and to bring that up in a fight. Just, just bloodshed, emotional bloodshed everywhere. Or with your kids. And I don't know if we really resist vulnerability. I just think we don't know how to be vulnerable. We're just so busy. We don't have time. Vulnerability takes a little time. We're so distracted. You know the main cause, I think, of lack of relationship with the Lord is these things in our pockets. Because he speaks to us in a whisper. He's not going to yell over the reels. He speaks to us in a quiet moment. He's not going to speak through the binging. And, and I'm not against those things. But they have been a great tool of the enemy to keep us separated from the Father. 
Our phones have convinced us that we're more connected than ever, but it's counterfeit connection. I read this week that the average American will check their phone 344 times a day. Average American spending a little more than three hours on it every day. You add that up, that's 44 days a year that we're on the phone. We're more connected than ever, yet we've never been lonelier. Recent research found that 79% of adults ages 18 to 24 report feeling regularly or weekly lonely. 57% of men and 59% of women reported being deeply lonely to the point of despair. They found there's a direct correlation with time spent on phones to feeling more and more lonely and isolated. Some of our teenagers or kids in this room who grew up with a phone, they lack the ability to even maintain real human connection from a moment to moment. We're more connected than ever. I can tell you what the weather is in Thailand in about three seconds and what my junior high girlfriend had for dinner last night. Tip of my fingers. Yet real confession in my life, some of my dearest friends in this very own room, I don't know what they're scared of. I don't know what they're fearful of. I don't know what God's doing in their heart. I don't know what they're dreaming about. I don't know what they're praying through. I can tell you whether in Thailand but I can't tell you what those people who are supposed to be closest to me are walking through. And this is not shocking to anyone in this room. This is how we live. This is normal. The problem with this, friends, is that we're wired for relationship. And the creation story at the end of each day is Adam and Eve are working God would walk with them in the cool of the day. As a matter of fact, when he creates everything, God creates everything, he steps back and says that it's good until he creates Adam by himself alone, and it's the first time that he steps back and says it's not good. And so they walked in the cool of the day, and then these first humans rebelled, and what did they do right after they rebelled against God? What's the first? They hid. They hid in the trees from the very one who made them and the trees. This is the effect of sin, as it sends us into hiding, and our phone gives us the excuse to hide. Many of us have been hiding ever since. My friends, just listen to my heart just for a second. I'm fixing close. You can never heal in hiding. You just can't heal. You got any of those people in your family that just refuse to go to the doctor? Those old timers that just, I'm just not gonna, I'm just not gonna go. And they die an untimely death at 60 or 65 from preventable things. But they never wanted to come out of hiding to heal. There's some things that God wants to heal in your heart today. But you gotta bring them to him. There's some times and places you've been mistreated. Wasn't even your fault by someone else you've been lied about, your name has been damaged and thrown around, your poor heart has been hurt and destroyed, and you're bleeding all over the place, and you're mustering up enough courage to come in this room today and put a fake smile on your face and try to smile your way through, and God's like, I know. Would you just bring those things to me? Some of you, someone out of church did that to you. But they didn't speak for Jesus. Jesus speaks for himself, and he says, I love you. Would you just come to me? There is some healing that can happen in relationships. This is why James says you've got to confess your sins one to another. Why to one another? So that you may be healed. There's some healing that happens in the human heart. I don't know how the equation works. That only happen when you sit with a trusted friend and confess. This is what I did. You know, the scariest thing as a pastor is to see people living in sin, but they're convinced that they're not living in sin and they fooled everyone. They're like Ellie with the blanket over their head. They're like, nobody can see me. Bro, everybody can see you. 
The only way for us to experience connection and healing relationships we were designed for is to come out of hiding because to love is to be vulnerable. I love the way this author Heather puts it. When folks are gather around a system of shared beliefs, the price of acceptance in the group is usually agreement, which means the greatest value, stated or not, is being right. Unfortunately, this often creates an atmosphere of fear and performance, which in turn invites conformity. We're going to act our way through it, basically. But when people gather around a shared need for healing, the price of acceptance in the group is usually vulnerability. Which means the greatest value, stated or not, she says, is being real. This tends to foster an atmosphere of safety and participation, which in turn invites community. Can we get honest a moment? Can we do that in church, be honest? We all need healing. And what I love about the Genesis account is that even in their disobedience, God draws near to them to clothe them, to give them what they need. And the same is true for us. Even in all the ways that we've screwed up and hid, God draws near to us. He pursues us. He pursues us with intention. Knowing that we're fully loved by God gives us the courage to be vulnerable with each other. It frees us to hop off the treadmill of trying to pretend and be better than we actually are. That's why playing church is, is, is the most ridiculous thing. This is the gospel invitation. That you would stop hiding and come into the light. This is what Jesus did. Jesus made himself the most vulnerable ever. He was like a sheep, silent before his shearers. He didn't make a noise because he wasn't dying for his sins. He was dying for yours and mine. And he let them beat him and put a crown of thorns on his head and a spear in his sides, and nails in his arms and his legs for you. Could you be any more vulnerable? See, everyone loves the idea of love, but no one wants to pay the cost of love. We are literally wired for relationships. There's no such thing as a solo Christian sport. If you came across a football player at Sam's today after the service wearing his uniform, he said, oh, man, it looks like you're a football player. Who do you play for? You're like, well, I don't have a team. I play for myself. You're like, bro, you're just a weird dude in tight pants and a helmet. That's, you're not a football player. Football players have to have a team. Again, in John 10, Scripture says the devil prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour, and he is prowling around today. Do you ever watch Animal Planet? Lion in the tall grass, bunch of impala drinking out of the water. Ellie loves animals. We would be flipping through and say, oh, Dad, let's watch this one. I was like, babe, let's not watch this one. This is, this is not, not going to go well for the impala. Most of them herd it up, but there's just one kind of off to himself a little bit, the gimpy one. And that's the one the lion gets. Friends, isolation is a tool of the enemy. Can I warn you about this and apologize for this? For a very long time, the church has done a horrible job caring for people who maybe need the most care because you didn't meet the social cues or whatever it was because your life's messy and difficult. We've stiff-armed you. I hope Covenant hadn't done that. One of the reasons we started Covenant is that we would be a rescue ship and we would go out and get all the gimpy ones that are walking through real difficulty and we would put them in the middle and we would say, listen, we're going to create a wall around you. We're going to fight off the enemy while you heal here. Man, that's what I want our church to be. 
I want to give you a few minutes where you're at to do a relationship audit. First with Jesus. The text says if we love one another, then God love, God's love abides in us and is perfected in us. I want you to just do a little relationship audit with the Lord. Do you really know him? Gnosko, by experience, have you walked with him? Have you felt his love and favor on you? Has he spoken to you recently? I'd love to know what he said to you. You got those little cards, maybe you fill that out. It would bless my heart to know what God is saying to you. But just between you and the Lord, I'll invite the band up. Would you just do a relationship order? Where are you at with Jesus? In proximity? Are you taking time to hear from him? In intentionality, is there a time that you spend with him? Even if it's three minutes, you could start with three minutes. Listening for him. With vulnerability, are you telling him the hardest parts of you? Then with each other. Are there people in your life that you've committed to, to be proximate with, to be close to, to intentionally serve them? Place yourself next to them, to give to them, to receive from them. Listen, this is not going to be easy, but it will be rewarding and fruitful. Then finally, vulnerability. Have you been vulnerable with them? Do they know what's going on? Did you share a burden or the last time you blew it? What you're scared of or struggling with? What the enemy's saying to you? Maybe today would just be a day that we could take a step into that. God, I love you. I thank you for your grace. Lord, what a beautiful text. Jesus, you just didn't say that you loved us. You showed us. You were made manifest. You showed us the full extent of your love on the cross. Lord, I just ask for your forgiveness in front of all these people that I've made so much of my life about me, about serving me, doing things for me. Yet you tell us the secret to life is to die to self. Lord, would you help me do that this week? Jesus, would you help me walk with you like this this week? Vulnerability and intentionality. Or would you help me take a step into friendship this week with some of my friends where I can be real with them and they with me? No judgment, atmosphere of grace, but no lack of truth. God, do what only you can do in our hearts this morning. We'll thank you in advance for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion. Take all the time you need. Our prayer team's going to be in the back. If there was ever a week to pray with someone, this is one of them. Basically, if they're standing in front of the doors.